Father in heaven, thank you for a new day and a beautiful morning here at Camp Meeting. We pray that as we begin this class and in learning about the basics of being an elder, I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide our conversation and that our time will be well spent as we seek to understand the purposes and the job description of an elder and how to carry that work out. May your Holy Spirit guide us, I pray and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, really glad that you're here, and we're going to take a look at uh, some of the work of an elder today. I've given you a book that look a little notebook that looks like this, and if you would uh, take it, I just want to show you what's there. Uh, we have two sessions of elders training, basic training. That's today, uh, this morning, and tomorrow morning at the same time. And I'm doing a elders training, I mean a deacons training on Wednesday and Thursday, and uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think elders should know what deacons should be doing. And you are, elders are leaders in the church, and that's the place you need to be. Are you supposed to be somewhere else? Yeah. Where are you supposed to be? No, already an elder, so. Oh, that's all right. It doesn't hurt you to learn how to be in one. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, and so we're going to have a deacon and deaconess training on, on Wednesday and Thursday. And then on Friday, I'm going to do a class that is talking about uh, helping your church to grow as a leader. That's part of the work of an elder as well. And so we're going to focus on that. So this is a leadership course. And even though it has some different titles, the parts for an elder actually carry through all week. And I would encourage you to, uh, to participate in that. So if you take this out, this is what we're using for, to, for today. This is today's presentation. Tomorrow I'll give you that presentation here. Um, so I want you first of all to know what's in your notebook. Also, there are some blank pieces of paper underneath the class evaluation. And if you want to take notes, you can either take notes on the, on the uh, printout of the handout from the class, or you can take it on uh, the notebook if you want, on the pay notebook paper if you would like to do that. Um, if you need something to write with, we have that too. Looks like everybody's doing all right with that. And so that's uh, the material that I'm giving you to be able to work with. All right, anybody got any questions? Okay, let's dig into what we're going to be talking about. The first thing we want to talk about is the elders' call and qualification. This material that I'm going to be sharing with you comes out of the elders' handbook. And we had a little trouble uh, in the last year that there didn't seem to be an elders' handbook available. They printed them and then they ran out. And it's my understanding they're available again. So if you don't have an elders' handbook, I encourage you to go up to the ABC and get a hold of uh, uh, one of those because I'm only hitting some of the highlights. I'm not able to do the whole thing. I'm able to use just parts of it and uh, focus in the main items. I want to talk to you about the calling and election of an elder. First of all, to be an elder is to receive a call from God. It's not just your local church. That's important. But the real important role that you have is the role of being a leader in the church. And that work is to be a leader for God. And you want to make sure that that's your calling because there's nothing worse than being in a position that God didn't call you to when he begins to put burdens on you that you didn't realize were going to be something God expected of you and if you didn't really get that call from God, then you realize the challenge that you have in terms of carrying that work out. God is the one who calls an elder to their responsibility. Elders who realize that their calling comes first from God will appreciate the importance and the seriousness of the leadership responsibility. There is a tremendous responsibility upon the elder. If you don't mind passing that sign-up sheet to the back, we've had one more person join us, so great. Thank you. So the, uh, the work of an elder 
is a very serious task. In some places, not so much in Michigan, but in some places in the world, elders serve as assistants to the pastor. And really that's the way it ought to be even in Michigan, in the United States as well. That is the work of an elder is to assist the pastor. We'll talk a lot more about that uh, later today and uh, tomorrow as well. It is a very serious responsibility and an important task. The election of an elder after an individual receives a call from the Lord to do this, and sometimes that call to be an elder comes through the congregation. There are people who say, I've never thought about being elder. I don't want to be an elder. I remember when I was pastoring uh, uh, one, of my, one of the churches, uh, in this particular case, the Kalamazoo Church, and while I was pastoring, I noticed that there were people that I could see that God was, would be able to use in elder responsibilities. But they were hesitant to take that responsibility. As a matter of fact, they were even asked to do it from time to time. Uh, and I'm talking about different individuals. And they backed off or said no or, um, you know, or whatever. They just chose not to take that responsibility. It's interesting to me that today, 20 years later, those individuals are elders. And what it sometimes does is takes time for the call to settle in. There's more than one pastor who resisted that call and went off as an electrician first or did this or did that and then finally realized, wait a minute, God's been calling me for years. I've been running from this call and, and now it's time for me to do that work that God has called me to do. We've got several pastors in the Michigan conference that that's their story. And so that happens even to elders. And sometimes it's when the nominating committee selects an elder, wow, I'd really never thought about doing that. Well, I'm not sure. And then they begin to realize, you know, I really have sensed that God's been calling me to this responsibility. And it's not because of a person's wealth or because they run a business or uh, their importance in the local community, they're being called to be an elder. They're being called to a position of being an elder in the church for a reason of their spiritual leadership and the opportunity they have to share. They have no official position or authority in the church unless they have been elected by the congregation. They are elected for life, I should say. They are ordained for life, but not elected for life. You understand? I want to make sure I correct that, and maybe making the mistake helps to clarify that. You're not elected for life. You might be elected this year and not elected next year. You don't have to be reordained if you were elected the following year uh, back into being an elder, but when you're not elected, you're not an elder. It's just that simple. Yes, please. Question. Uh, if you're elected by the congregation and you're not ordained yet, what's that process? Good question. Uh, the, I'll answer it simply because I don't think I really get into it later. But the process is when you are elected, that means that you should be ordained. And that should take place shortly after your election and uh, shortly after you take office. So in other words, let's say the nominating committee process is going through March and uh, April and May of the year. So by the end of May, the election is completed, the nominating committee report has been accepted by the church, and you're an elder in the church. Perhaps the officers uh, actually take effect in July, because that's a typical calendar for, for a local church. So in July, you should be ordained. It should be as early as the first Sabbath, whenever the pastor is able to be there, because sometimes that becomes a schedule scheduling issue or whatever. But it should be done by an ordained pastor. They should be doing that. And there might be more than one, or you may be the only one if that were the case. And then you would be ordained at that time. You're ordained then in the local church. If you go to another church, you know, five years later you transfer to another church, and somewhere along the line they elect you to be an elder, you do not have to be ordained again. You've already been ordained. Okay? That's the election for life. I should say that's the 
or nation for life, but the election is only when you are elected by the church. I'm going to get that part of it right yet. To uh, take a little bit of a biblical look at this, in the New Testament, the elders' job description is um, outlined there uh, somewhat briefly, but still clearly. They're appointed by every congregation. As you look at the experience of Paul going from congregation to congregation, he speaks about the fact that he appointed elders there, and in that case they were working under the leadership of the Apostle Paul, and he always made sure that there were elders that were elected to that congregation and appointed to that congregation to be able to work there. They are highly respected individuals. That respect is out of their leadership ability and their spiritual experience. And it's not necessarily because of some other, you know, thing as wealth or as we've talked about or whatever, but the respect is earned from their experience. They give leadership in prayer. They are involved in anointing the sick. These were tasks that clearly were outlined in the New Testament. And those individuals that were selected to those positions were individuals who had been recognized by the congregation as fulfilling those requirements. In the New Testament, they carried significant leadership and administrative responsibilities. They helped to oversee what was going on in that local church. When there became problems, it was their responsibility to find ways of solving them. That doesn't mean they necessarily always solved them or did them, for we know that when a problem arose in the early church in Acts, what happened to uh, the situation where the widows were not being cared for that in a way that some felt they should be? They came to the leaders of the church. The church leaders said, we need someone else to be doing this task. And that's when they chose deacons and ordained deacons to carry on that work. So in other words, the leaders have to figure out how to solve that problem. If the church is big enough today, they might have to say, you know, there's a specific need here that's unique to our church, and we need to go through a nominating committee process and have that person chosen to solve that problem because we don't have time and we shouldn't be spending our time doing that work because our work is to lead the church and provide the direction that is needed in the congregation. They were also shepherds, they were overseers, and they were individuals who were showing and living by example how Christians should live. That's why Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And the apostles taught the elders that came to, uh, to be under their leadership, they taught them similarly of their responsibilities. I already mentioned the fact that from spiritual leadership perspective, they should be respected by the con congregation. They should be able to speak well. Now, this is one of the parts that really makes some people hesitate to take on the responsibility of being an elder, and we understand that. Uh, there tends to be uh, a, a certain fear level. I've never done that before. I'm not sure that I could. Although that's why as a pastor sometimes when I've noticed individuals that sh showed the gifts of being able to be a leader and able to do the kinds of things, including speaking, it's sometimes difficult to convince the person that they can do that. And one of the ways that that can be accomplished is through training. And sometimes people think, well, you can't learn. But you know what? What about people like me? Did I just stand up one day and start preaching? There are some kids who did that, and they were preaching at the age of three or four or whatever, I don't know. But, uh, you know, maybe just to their friends or, or whatever, they just started that way. That was not my case. And the first time that I really got into preaching was an academy, and, and the first time I preached a sermon, it was a very short one, and, and I can't even remember what it was about. As a matter of fact, I remember a lot better the, the, uh, the speech or the sermon that a friend of mine gave than my own, because he did such a fantastic job, and, and I just really had no idea what I was doing. 
And that in spite of the fact my father was a minister. So it's something that you can learn, and I think that's important. But it is part of the task of being a leader to be up front and to be able to speak and to be understood and to heard well. Also, they should have consecrated lives. That's part of the responsibility of being an elder. This is a spiritual leadership role. You're not a CEO in a, in a, uh, in a big company. You are a leader of people in the church, and you are leading their spiritual uh, activities and uh, guiding them in their lives. And that's why this idea of spiritual leadership is spoken of here and is being repeated because that is what this is all about. Some people think that being elected to an elder is in order to be able to take care of calling for the offering on Sabbath morning, perhaps having the morning prayer on Sabbath morning, and other leadership responsibilities on the platform on Sabbath morning. That is a minor part of being an elder. What was the word I just used? A what part? Minor part of the responsibility of being an elder. And I really want to stress that because that is where the role of being an elder comes into comes to fruition. Part of the work of being an elder is to provide general oversight along with the pastor. Now, remember I told you a few moments ago that the work of being an elder is one of working alongside the pastor. I even use the word assisting the pastor. And whether it's here in the United States or in some places where a pastor might have 20 or 30 churches, and that's not an exaggeration, Obviously, the elders have to be assisting the pastor. The pastor cannot be there every week. And the pastor cannot visit every home every month. The pastor is going to be spreading himself very thin. And the elders are necessary to provide the spiritual leadership and the oversight that the congregation needs. So they're working right alongside the pastor. In the North American division, this is especially uh, focused when it comes to looking at the areas of the departments in the church. Name some of the departments in the church that you might oversee as an elder. Personal ministries, Personal ministries. what else? Children's programs. Children's programs, Sabbath schools and adult Sabbath schools especially, what else? Treasurer, what else? Deacons. Deacons. Now, you notice that I just keep going on and on. And the reason for that is because you, somebody has to oversee all of the positions in the local church, right? All of the positions in the local church need to be overseen. And we have some tools that help to provide the ability to do that and to uh, help to focus the energies of the elders in, in uh, looking over those responsibilities. And we'd be happy to provide for that and provide that information. This involves helping to get involved in planning and staffing and training and guiding of the entire church program. Whoa. There's nothing that I said here that just simply talked about organizing the platform on Sabbath morning. I'm talking about getting in there and really leading this church and getting that church going. How many of you uh, come from a church where your pastor has more than one church? Okay, that was everybody. And that is typical, that's normal. So the role of the elders in providing that oversight is a critical part of doing the work of an elder. That means planning. What does that translate to? That translates to, let's say, for example, we're talking about personal ministries. If we're talking about personal ministries, that means that, let's say, your church has 200 members. That's a fairly large church in Michigan. And they're not that, you know, there's only, 
I don't want to say a handful, but there's probably about 50 churches or so that are that size or about that area, between 100 and 200. Now, chances are in that case that you're going to need to have, you're going to have more than one elder. You might have three or four, uh, maybe even five or six elders, and you can spread out your responsibilities. So one elder, take the elders that we have here as being a good representation of that, one elder might be in charge of handling the personal ministries department. Now that doesn't mean that the, that elder is going to attend at every single personal ministries committee meeting or every time they get together and do that, but the elders should be in tune with what's going on in that department. Maybe it's by going and visiting the personal ministries leader as part of regular visitation and saying, all right, how are things going? What's happening? What are your plans? How are they developing? Can you give me a copy of the list of your plans so that we know what's, uh, what's going on? But there's also another aspect where you can be involved, and that is at the beginning of the year when the Personal Ministries Committee may be doing some planning. That's a good time to go and attend one of their planning sessions and be able to identify. Now, you might go into the Personal Ministries Committee meeting and find they can't get anything going. They can't get it figured out. They don't know what they're going to do, and they don't know where they're going. That's why you are providing oversight along with the pastor, and you're working with them. Now, usually in our churches here, the pastor would likely be a part of that process. But you should be a part of it too, so that when the pastor isn't able to be there, you're able to provide oversight and to be able to keep the church moving ahead. If the church is not moving ahead in soul winning and outreach, and you're an elder in the church, it's your fault. Do you hear what I said? It's your fault. Why? Because you're the oversight provider for that local church. It's not just because the personal ministries leader wasn't doing it. It's because you as an elder are not leading that congregation. Maybe that personal ministries leader needs to learn how to lead. Maybe they've never gotten any training. You might say, you know, you need to go, and I'm saying, no, I'm, I should model this a little better than I am, but I am making a point, so I hope you will understand that. But I, I would encourage them, as an elder, I'd encourage them to go and get some training from the personal ministries department of the conference. Or maybe organize a personal uh, training event in your district where all the uh, personal ministries leaders can come together and maybe Elder Howard from the conference can come and train them and provide that training. In other words, you don't have to do it all but you can see where the need is and say, this is what we have to do in order to be able to help our church to grow. So when I say it's your fault, I'm trying to make a point. And the point is that you have leadership responsibility in your church. It's not just the pastor. It's your task. And if you as elders are doing the work well and in organized fashion, one of you is responsible for personal ministries. But that's a big task. That elder might not have any other responsibilities for oversight, but the other, another elder might be responsible for overseeing the youth programs, the, person, the Pathfinder program and the Adventurer program and, and Eager Beavers or whatever programs that you have or need to have in order to meet the needs of your young people. All of those things may be part of what you're, what you're uh, working at and what you're able to minister to. And you say, we need to work at this. You might need to go to the pastor and say, I, we need some help here, pastor. This is an area of the church. I'm willing to provide some, some uh, encouragement and leadership, but I, I mean to make sure that we're all on the same page. So you are helping to move that church to the next level, the next step. Maybe it's in Sabbath school. Maybe the, the other, another elder is in charge of Sabbath school oversight and making sure that the adult Sabbath school is running the way it should. If the adult Sabbath school is not going well, that is your responsibility to say, what do we need to do to up the game, to step it up, to get the leadership that we need, to train the leaders so that they're doing their work. All right, am I making my point? All of these areas are the responsibility 
the planning, the staffing, the training, the guiding of the entire church program is under your oversight and be able to lead with that. Part of your oversight is also de demonstrating skills and uh, overseeing the worship service and providing leadership in that aspect. This is the most common area that elders are involved with and it's probably the most visible on Sabbath morning especially, that they're involved with. But you notice it's only one of the tasks, and it's one of many. At the pastor's request or in his absence, the uh, elder may also serve as a chair of the board or at business meetings as well. That would be the head elder of the local church might be involved in this kind of work as well, but only when the pastor requests it. Elders do not have the authority to call an elders meeting without the pastor knowing it. That is not res that's not responsible, and sometimes that happens in a subversive way in order to undermine the pastor, and that's irresponsible. You need to work with, if you're having, work with the pastor. If you're having trouble with the pastor and you've got issues you need to address, you can come to the ministerial department. That's our task and we work with it. And no, we don't usually come in and one day talk to the pastor and the next week fire them because they weren't doing what the elders wanted them to do. This is a process that we work with with the elders and many times the issues that are being uh, dealt with can be worked through without the pain of making moves and changes and so on. Other times it has to be that there are changes made. Elders are also able to uh, be involved in outreach and should be and have a clear vision of the church's mission. The truth of the matter is we've been teaching something in Michigan for quite a while as part, as part of Grow Michigan, and you know that's the theme of our camp meeting, but as part of that, something that we have called over the last several years, training center churches. The training center church principles make it very clear that every single member, every single member, I say every single member, is first of all to be a disciple of Jesus. And that includes the elders and the deacons and deaconesses. As a matter of fact, the elders are the ones who are responsible for leading the school, the training center church that Ellen White told us all our churches should be, a training school for Christian workers. And we must be, as elders, we must be Christian workers ourselves. We must know how to give a Bible study if we're going to help other people know how to give a Bible study. We must be winning souls if we expect other people to be winning souls. We're providing spiritual oversight for the congregation. We must be involved in outreach for the congregation and help them develop a clear sense of vision for their mission. Part of the work of a local elder has to do with nurture. Elders are not only overseers, but they are shepherds. Shepherds are under the pastor, shepherds under the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, and they are working to provide nurture for the congregation. They may be helping to prepare members for baptism. If a church and churches are really functioning the way God wants them to, you might be having a baptism every week or, or a baptism every month or, or, or that's the way it really ought to be. People coming in and searching for truth and the pastor can't possibly get around to all of those. So you should be trained how to clear people for baptism and know how to say, wait a minute, they're not ready for baptism and work with the pastor until they are ready for baptism and be able to do that process, preparing people for baptism, providing special love and nurture for new members who are in need. And we have a discipleship plan in Michigan using a discipleship handbook. How many of you are aware of that? All right. That discipleship handbook is something you should be integrally uh, familiar with and have read through yourself and utilizing as a tool yourself. It's a great tool for helping to love and nurture the new members. And every new member should have somebody mentoring them and going through the uh, discipleship handbook as a part of their growth after baptism. Not necessarily your hand, but definitely at the hand of someone who's been trained or learning how to do that work. But you want to make sure every new member has that experience. 
We know that new members sometimes drift away, but a lot fewer drift away when we integrate a serious follow-up discipleship process in their lives. And when we just baptize them and ignore them, is it any surprise that they leave? We want to help them make firm friendships within the church. The church hand, uh, discipleship handbook has all of that kind of aspect of nurture built right in to the work of an elder. And I'm looking at uh, my time and my notes and realizing we're going to have to speed up by quite a bit. So here we go. We're going to put the afterburner on a little bit. Small churches, um, just some things that apply to smaller churches more than larger churches. The elders need to take responsibility for almost all of the detailed administration of the church. Yes, I know you thought that was the pastor's responsibility, but that really shouldn't be the pastor's responsibility. And the pastor should provide oversight and provide the, the general direction, but the elders need to be providing that leadership. In smaller churches, elders need to be prepared to preach often. They need to plan to lead out in the worship service, including communion, if there's an emergency to do so. But I will tell you that there are enough ordained ministers in the Michigan Conference that that should not be the practice. And if you should request special permission, if there's an unusual situation that's developed, to do that. And you can do that by calling me, for example, if for some, if for some reason, let's say your pastor's called out of town, and uh, on an emergency basis, has a family emergency, his mother is dying in Florida and uh, finds out on Friday evening and has to catch a plane that night and uh, is making his way down to Florida and communion is scheduled for the next morning. You could call the ministerial director and it may be that I can change my schedule and get there or I can find a pastor who can come and assist you. That's really the way this should work and it can happen. But you do have the authority of you, the head elder, elected by your congregation to be the head elder. I could tell you there's nobody else who can come and do that for you. You're going to have to take charge of it and give it to you. We can give you that authority to do that. We, you might also call and chair the church board or a business meeting in the pastor's absence at his specific request. All right. Also, you need to organize and participate in the visitation of members. This is a very ignored area of responsibility, but a very critical one to the oversight and the spiritual nurture of members of the church. This is a major responsibility for you as an elder. And in smaller churches, there's no reason why that can't happen. Your churches may not be that large. You may only have 20 families in your congregation, and over a year, can you visit 20 families? We're talking about less than one a week. One family a week. I mean, every other week, as a matter of fact, if it's 20 families. Also need to oversee the evangelistic plans of the church, need to be involved in the training of the congregation in terms of stewardship and giving general oversight to the church finances. We, many times, as part of visitation, the elders can be teaching. Now, here's what I don't like and really discourage. The elders get together, the board meets, and the elders are part of that, and they are talking about we are in desperate need financially. We're getting no money coming in for church budget. We not have enough to be able to meet this project. We whatever. Well, let's, why don't we go out and visit all our church members and ask them how much they can contribute? Never once have the elders been out visiting those church members in 20 years. And the first time they show up at the door is not to teach stewardship, but to ask for money. Is that a problem? So that's why this visitation, now that isn't why, but that is one of the benefits of regular visitation is that you've already shown that you care about the people because you do care about the people. They can't say you always show up whenever you want money. And I've heard that. And I suspect, suspect you have too. And that's how you avoid that is not by just going when you need money, but you go when they need help. And that is all the time because you are helping to develop their spiritual growth. 
and you're helping with the finances of the church. In larger churches, there's probably a large team of elders. The largest church in the Michigan Conference is Pioneer Memorial, and I don't know if, I think they've got about 60 elders or something like that, okay? And they, they have more than one lead elder and, and all. You've got that board of elders. Even smaller churches need a board of elders. Even if you're only two or three of you, you need to be reg meeting regularly, and you all elders are members of the church board. All right, this next section is printed for you, and I really am going to go through this section now. First part I've talked about is your job description. I'm dealing with it on a basic level and uh, helping you to have some grasp of that piece. I don't want anybody to go way overwhelmed and say, wait a minute, I didn't know that's what an elder is supposed to do. I'm going home and resigning. That's not what that is. You take one step at a time and develop your skills and work your schedule out till these things become a part of your experience and get the training that you need. This is a great place to start to be able to do that. And by the way, I'm willing to come to local churches and local districts and do training of elders. I'm happy to do it. I only wish I got asked more to do that. Um, it does happen, but I don't get enough of it. Because I know at camp meeting there's too many seminars and it's just not possible that all the elders are going to get here that uh, could benefit from the training. So I've talked first of all about the job description. Now I want to talk about the organization of the church just to make sure that that piece is clear in terms of what uh, we function in and the way the church does work. First of all, God created the church. This is His creation. This is His work. Jesus came here and established the Christian church. And everywhere God is at work, there is an organization necessary in order to keep the church moving together. People who want to be part of God's plan but not part of an organization do not understand how God works. I visited people as a pastor, especially people that uh, were interested in joining the church, and they said, you know, I'm, I'm really not interested in being part of a church. Why can't I just stay at home and pray and, and so on? And that's a great misunderstanding of who God is. They, they just want their own little bit of an experience and they think that's all they need. No, that isn't all they need because that does not going to prepare a person for the return of Jesus. The return of Jesus is getting to be a strong Christian and we become stronger by interacting with each other. We learn from each other and we also become stronger by spreading the message together as a team. And God works on that way. He put this organization together to accomplish a task. There are different ways of being organized. And in the uh, early church days of the Old Testament, there was the patriarchal system. When the new, uh, uh, when the church, I mean, when the church, yes, literally became a nation, God's people organized as a nation, God would still have been their king if he would have allowed them, they would have allowed him to do it. But when we come to the New church, Testament church, the church was a community of Christians, and that was their method of organization. And that is the method of organization that we use today. The Bible uses many images to represent the church. It is, first of all, a group of Christian people. A church is a group of people called out from the world that are learning to love God and also to care about each other. I like this little statement down at the bottom here. A church is not a museum, but a living workshop. That's what is happening with the local church. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I can't show you on the video so they know who you are, but we're good. <laughs> nice to see you, honey. So we're talking about what the church is, and the Bible also uses some other imagery. We find the church is a group of Christians reaching out to the world. That is the strength that we have. We could be changing the world if we were not just centering in ourselves, but reminding ourselves regularly of our responsibility and carrying that out to take the message to the world. Church is also a place for the healing of the hurts of life. 
And that's what a lot of people are needing today and a lot of people are anxious for today is to have that experience of seeing their hurts healed. Jesus wants to do that and that's what that local church is for. And the elders are helping to provide that direction and that support for church members and for visitors as well. And that's what makes a difference in people's lives. Every church member receiving the Spirit of God also receives gifts from Him in order to be able to minister to in the congregation and to those around. The church is a mission of disciples reaching out. The church is a hospital, a place where healing is taking place, and is also the house of God where God comes with His to meet His people and where they can worship Him. Some of the organization models that we find in the, in the Bible in terms of how it, it functioned, the Israel model was a theocratic nation where God was directly in charge and gave them almost daily direction, cloud in the wilderness leading them from one place to another and that kind of leadership. Paul's model is the body model and that is the idea of, of the fact that we are all part of the team together Jesus model, Ecclesia, dealing with the community of the congregation and being able to model that way. But the bottom line is we all have a challenge in terms of the responsibility we have in reaching the world. We are to go to every nation, tribe, language, and people, and this is a global, multicultural, and multinational work that we must do. Good organization utilizes our resources in the best possible way. We delegate authority and it provides us also flexibility and the ability to evaluate and control the direction that we are going. Alan White gives us some reasons for our organization. One is to support the gospel ministry so that the work can advance. The fact that we have 19 million members in the Seventh-day Adventist Church today is a result of God's blessing and the organization that he provided. That's why the church has grown. It is to carry on the work of preaching in where we are and into new fields as well to protect the churches and the ministry from challenges and problems. Sometimes there are people, members in the congregation, who if it weren't for the organization would, um, would make it difficult for pastors, even abuse pastors, and uh, would even take control of the church. And the organization helps to provide the balance and the control that's needed for that. It also provides for the holding of church property and for making sure that the word is published and is and sent out. I'm going to let you look at this part on your own, just getting a little bit of a different of idea of how some congregations are organized. This is us down here, in case you're wondering. No, it's not papal, it's not Episcopal, and it's not congregational. We are working as a representative team, working together. The Seventh Avenue Church is organized with local congregations. And, uh, and then from the local congregations, you have the local field of the conference. You all understand that in terms of Michigan, you're at camp meeting, so you understand how those pieces connect together. There's also a union of conferences, and in the Lake Union, which is what we're part of, you have Michigan along with Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, and the Lake Region. There are five conferences in the Lake Union, and they make up this union of conference churches. In some parts of the world, it might be called, a conference might be called a mission. A general conference then is the next level built upon divisions. A general conference is made up of divisions. And we sometimes speak about five levels. Technically, you can say there's four because the divisions provide that. And then there's the oversight organization of the divisions. Let me explain a little bit of how that works. The North American Division has a president. His name is Daniel Jackson. He, uh, he represents us on the general conference level, but he's also a vice president of the general conference. So he's a president of the North American Division, or the president, 
and he is a vice president of the general conference. So when the general conference president gets his vice presidents together, all the division presidents are part of that. And they come together and that's a little bit about how that works and how the integration and the connection is maintained on a world level. Could talk a lot more about that because um, it has some real implications for the issues that we are dealing with today, but I don't have time to go on to it. Uh, Old, Tele Old Testament had a delegation process from God to Moses, from Moses to under the instruction of Jethro to organize and uh, do it on different levels. In the New Testament, we find 70 um, people. Uh, uh, there were 70 in the in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the apostles were part of that and they cared for the overall teaching and planning and administration and evangelism of the church. And generally, these apostles were itinerant workers going from place to place. Um, elders were ordained. They were laypersons. They exercised their gifts and their leadership in providing strength and direction for the local church. Deacons are an important part of the organization and the leadership structure of local churches. And they were in the New Testament responsible for sick, visiting the sick and caring for the needs of the congregation. And they were also very uh, consistent witnesses for Jesus Christ in the early church. In our work today, we have a church manual that helps to guide us. How many of you have the new church manual? Okay, if you don't have the new church manual, make sure you go upstairs and get it. Every time they're reprinted, which is every five years, there are changes. Pardon me? Um, 2015 is the year, and I can't remember what number it is. But the church manual was reprinted in 2015, and there was a slight revision, revision that was left out, and, uh, and I think that's in the ones that are printed now. So if you don't have one, go up to the ABC and get a hold of one. Yeah, it would be, it's kind of a reddish color. I don't have it in here with me today, uh, kind of a maroon color, but make sure that you do have one of them. In there it says, the work and organization of the church of the pastor has not been provided by the conference or mission. The office of elder ranks as the highest and the most important leadership role in the local congregation. The importance of elders is very clear. If it weren't for the elders, we would not be able to function in the North American division. 25,000 ministers, 19 million Seventh-day Adventists. You can see we could not lead this church with just 25,000 members leading 19 million people. And there's 130 congregations. Do the math on that. Okay? So your role as an elder is vital to the strength of this, con of this denomination and for finishing God's work. All right, I'm going to move on to another section here. I'm halfway through. Can you believe that? And I've got 15 minutes, so we're going to have to keep moving. I want to stress a little bit in the area of planning that the local elder needs to be involved in the planning process and helping the church plan and know where they're going and integrating in the, uh, the members into the work. Everyone in the church should have a role, everyone. And as elders, it is your work to especially find a work for those members to do. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on spiritual gifts. This has been spoken of a lot. I will tell you that it can be misperceived and it can be uh, led in the wrong direction. Every, sometimes we think that no, only people should give Bible studies or know how to give Bible studies who have a special gift of giving Bible studies. The truth of the matter is the Bible doesn't say, if I give you the gift of witnessing, then you should be a witness. The Bible says that we are all called to be witnesses. Am I right? And we're all disciples, therefore that should be the case. The reason for the gifts is to provide strength in various other areas of ministry in that local church. So I'm going to keep going past this area of gifts, and I can, you know, you've got the notes there. You can kind of work through that and realize that you want to integrate every member of your congregation into the work of the church and getting them involved and getting them committed and then they will be successful and your church will have a successful ministry. But you want everyone to have a successful experience. 
You want to help them find their role in the church through gifts and other tools there that are available if you need those in order to be able to help you. Church planning and the local church and the leadership roles that need to be done, one of the things that you need to be planning for is training. The nominating committee normally gets together and they say, we need people to do this, we need people to do this, we need people to do this. So they get on the phone, they start calling people, and they say, would you please be willing to be a deacon? Well, I've never been one before. That's fine. All you got to do is take up the offering on Sabbath morning. Wrong! But we're so desperate to get somebody to do the work, that's the way we treat this. As elders, you want to be overseeing that church and leading that church into an experience where, okay, if they need a deacon and they say, I've never done it before, then you need to work to train that deacon on what their responsibility is, which is why I said it's beneficial for you to come to a deacon training class so that you know what the deacons are supposed to be doing because the deacons are assistants to the pastors and to the elders in getting a lot of the work done, including the visiting of church members. That's an important role that they carry on. All right, I need to keep going with this, but these are all aspects of developing this into a training school in the local church and being involved in the planning process. You want to be planning annually. Don't just fall on what it was you did in the last 10 years and say that's all we're going to do. Your church needs to grow, not stagnate. And many churches are dying. Maybe your church is one of those churches that's, if it's not growing, it's dying. Did you catch that? If it's not growing, it's dying. And I can tell you that in my years I've been in Michigan, I've seen churches, including churches I've pastored, that have plateaued and they're slowly dying because the same people are going to church there who were going to church when I was there. Is that bad? No. The problem is nobody else is. Okay, now I'm overstating my point, and I know that's not totally accurate, but it's very close to accurate. And those individuals that when I pastored that church 25 years ago are still the ones leading that church, are still the ones that are attending that church, and they're just about the only ones that are there. They're now 25 years older than they were. And in some cases, they are very quite elderly. That means the church is literally dying because the church is not growing. All right, so that's part of that. And now on Friday, we're going to have a church on helping your church, I mean, a class on helping your church grow, and we'll talk more about that. But that's where that whole idea of planning and figuring that part of it out. You can read your notes. Watch the slides real quick. Here's what we're going to do. You want to evaluate what you did last year and then get involved in where you're going. Here are some items that need to be included in your planning agenda. You need to also have a master plan of evangelism, and the conference has an initiative in that regard. And you need to be a part of that, that experience and leading the church. More on that in another class. I want to take you to, uh, through a little bit of the issues of committees. This is part of oversight of the church, and you as elders want to know what the committees in your church should be doing, and you should also be breaking up the various responsibilities so that you're able to see that. Committees are Christians working together. This is fulfilling Proverbs 11, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Committees help to keep us connected. Now, I'm not... Sometimes people say, well, you're the ministerial director. You appoint the pastors and you fire the pastors. No, uh, not the case at all. We have a personnel committee, and that personnel committee is overseen by the conference executive committee to whom we report when we make any of those changes, and they, can, they have the authority to change any of the changes we think we're going to make. There's safety in that. Committee's purpose is to be able to provide connection for the body in uh, terms of its operation and providing group participation. It's helping to make decisions at the lowest level possible. That means simply that you don't want all the decisions being made by the pastor. You want the decisions and the functioning of the church being made at the lowest level possible to keep the church organized and functioning. 
and carrying that out. Committees can be terribly time-consuming, so you want to be organized in relationship to that. You don't want to take the, everything to the board, or the board gets bogged down. Sometimes it can be settled at other levels. How many of you have a church business meeting every year? Okay, so two said yes, two, one said maybe, maybe not, and the other didn't raise his hand at all. We yeah, we try. I know, and, and I, 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 I'm going to repeat what you just said, because that is a pet peeve of mine. Our churches seem to be trying to go to this route of skipping board meetings and having only business meetings, because they can't pe get people to come out, or they're so small that it doesn't matter. When you've got five people coming to church, and your board is five people, and I get that part. But when you've got 100 members in your church and there are 50 people coming to church on Sabbath and you have only board meeting, uh, business meetings and no board meetings because you can only get five people to come to a board meeting anyway, that means five people are making the decisions for 100 members. No, that's not appropriate. And that's not the way it should. You need to work harder to get the members involved in the whole process. All right, so you need both. Business meetings should be um, a minimum once a year, usually four times a year, and board meetings monthly. All right, and I'm coming to that. That's in your notes here. I just summarized that a little bit. If you need more information on what they should be and, and what they should be doing, by all means, we can talk. I only have so much time to do this class today. Church board, uh, composition, of course, who makes it up? The elders are all on the church board, the head deacon, head deaconess, and then other individuals as provided by the manual. They are elected by the church and uh, every year through the nominating committee or every other year if your church is on a two-year cycle, which, by the way, I encourage. Two-year cycle gives uh, the church an opportunity to actually get out there and be doing some things. The church is chaired by the board, uh, by the pastor, Chair, the board is, pa is chaired by the pastor, but he can delegate that authority to the head elder if he chooses to do so. That has to be done carefully and with counsel. Um, there's more that needs to be said there. Responsibilities are for the nurture, evangelism, and maintenance of doctrinal purity in the church. And you won't know more about that. Come to the Redemptive Discipline class. That's an important class for elders. And I've not taught that class here at camp meeting before. I've given some aspects of it, but we're going to spend five days talking about redemptive discipline and how that can be integrated into the local church. Responsibilities of the church board also is involving uh, church finances, the protection and the care of those properties, uh, the local church, the department's oversight and the coordination of the events that are taking place in the local church, and perhaps providing specific committees, even special committees for needs that that congregation may need to be caring for. The committee members, as a committee member, if you're an elder, you need to be able to be someone who is an initiator, who's helping to share ideas and have ideas, but every committee has some people who are really good at various aspects of this and not so good at others. There are others who are elaborators. They generally can take ideas and begin to expand on them. Some people are good at coming up with ideas, but they can't expand the idea. Others can take the idea and go with it in some places. Um, some individuals are able to challenge and, and seem to be almost a nuisance on a committee because they're always challenging things. But sometimes the challengers are very, val uh, very valuable members of that committee because they help the committee avoid making mistakes. And some of those mistakes can be very serious. There's the appeaser and the energizer. More details are there, but recognize that on committees, People can play different roles by personality and by intention in some cases and providing uh, the support for that church in that particular way. If a church has a, um, a committee going on and there's, you perhaps might be a committee chairman, 
uh, or chairperson there, you want to make sure that there are some steps that you take, that there's an agenda, that there's a way to open that prayer appropriate, uh, that a meeting appropriately with prayer and a brief devotional, that there is a church clerk and, a, and in terms of a board especially, uh, maintaining the records there and know how to function as a committee, how to move the committee and keep things moving ahead and the items that need to be done. All right, I'm going to keep going here because I want to get through this last section. The pastor and the elder are a team in partners in ministry. Philippians, Philippians chapter 1 says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The pastor is assigned by the conference. The elder is assigned by the congregation. The elder's ordination is valid for the congregation. The pastor's ordination is worldwide. Both are leaders. Both are coordinators of church activities. And in some cases, youth ministers might have a more specific uh, um, role there, and they may not have been ordained to ministry. They may be working in a specific capacity there. Okay, that that what that means, but by election. Okay, that's not intended to be what that means. It 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 doesn't mean that that's it's it is valid for that congregation versus the pastor who can go anywhere in the world in terms of holding that responsibility because he doesn't have to be elected the pastor the pastor doesn't have to be elected exactly that's the difference the election is the key part there good question thank you for asking it if you give me just a couple minutes i'm going to finish this uh, section up very very quickly the pastor's part is to provide these leadership functions including helping to develop the curriculum of the local church in these various aspects as outlined here. But the pastor and the elder are also coordinating these things together. There's a respect and a in their function and support. They're involved in pastoral visitation together. They spend time together. The pastor is also helping to support the elder's family, which should in vice versa be done. Also, the elders should be supporting the pastor's family. Special attention to the elder's church and the spiritual life. These two are reciprocal, and we need to be providing that process. The pastor is providing delegation and leadership there. The pastor should be communicating regularly with elders and you should be doing the same. There should be evaluation taking place where you're saying, how are things going? How is my role as an elder going, pastor? And the pastor should also be asking the same basic question. And that's where you find this elders part begins to kicks in, kick in and provides the support for the pastor. You can see the reciprocal nature of these roles. You need to be able to find time. Notice this statement. Elders should probably not be elders if they see their work exclusively as a Sabbath morning responsibility. The, the time frame that I use encouraging elders for is four hours a week. You need to be able to commit four hours a week on top of your Sabbath morning duties. Okay. Maximize the pastor's strength um, and uh, recognize that if the pastor has a personality, understand what that personality is, and also realize that the pastor has a public responsibility or personality in terms of the kinds of things. Then you want to be able to accept, that's the word I want. You want to be able to strengthen those strengths and utilize those strengths that your pastor has and realize that every pastor has weaknesses along the way as well. Pastor your pastor. Um, give support to them. Here are some ways that are listed in terms of giving that support. Support the pastor's family in a number of different ways that are listed here. Your pastor needs care and nurture as well, just as you do. Um, and here are some of the things that are listed, as I said, that they would be supporting the children and empathizing with hurting pastoral families 
Even pastors' families go through divorces and difficult times. Most of the time that doesn't happen, but those things happen. Or they lose their parents, just like you want support. When you lose a family member, they need support when they lose a family member. There needs to be special attention to that work. All right, I'm going to conclude with this counsel of Paul. And that is now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Well, we've rushed through this a little bit, given you a little bit of a basic framework. Tomorrow we're going to get into some other aspects, including the visitation of church members. And I've purposely shortened the class tomorrow so that we can spend some time talking about visitation and the importance of it and how to go about doing that work. So let's have a prayer as we conclude. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for each one here and their role as leaders in the, their local churches. I pray that as we conclude this time, you will go with us and bless the rest of this camp meeting with your presence and your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.